morning, everyone. So last week, John took us through the first half of this passage, and I was out of town, and so that's always the best scenario when you're finishing a series to be out of town and miss the first sermon. Um, But I was able to listen to it this week, and um, I was blessed And I'm going to eventually read that, Um, read that first section that John taught last week. Um, But we are, you know, the series is called Everyday Church Close, and John kind of walked us through what we mean by that, what we're trying to communicate through that. And last week, We went through Paul's words to the Colossians of the things that we should be putting off because we are Christians, because we are saved, because we have decided to follow the way of Jesus. There are certain things that we should not be about. And this week, we're going to talk about the things that we should be about, the things that we should be putting on. Um, You know, clothes... um, are a way to communicate. Uh, When I was in, I think I was in junior high, um, you know, I I really cared about my, when I was in junior high, I still care about my image. Um, I want cool clothes. You know, there are certain things that I don't wear because I think that they're not cool. Um, but when I was younger, I said, oh, I want these shoes. I want these clothes. And my mom was like, get a job because I'm not buying them. And um, in junior high, I went through this. It wasn't a phase because I really think that's where my identity was at that time. But um, do you guys remember like BMX when that was super cool and everybody wore like the wallet chains were like the bike chains and the clothes were baggy and the shoes were too big. Um, I really thought that was where it was at. And uh, because I wanted people to associate me with that specific crowd. You know, Dave Mira, Ryan Nyquist, the X Games, these were all huge influences in my apparel. And um, that's what I associated my appearance with. That's what I wanted to communicate. I'm cool. You should all know it. Um, You know, not just for junior hires, but clothes communicate as we, no matter where we are in life. If you're at a job, you know, the brand new cashier at McDonald's is not going to dress the same as the CEO of McDonald's because there's a difference of position. Soldiers, you know, privates and commanders have different apparel to communicate different status. Our interests, uh, the other day I was at a coffee shop studying for today and there was a man there and he was wearing a shirt that let me know he finished the uh, Madison, Wisconsin half marathon. And, you know, we wear clothes to communicate certain things. Police officers and uh, agents, when they're undercover, they change their appearance to be able to infiltrate or um, get into situations that they normally wouldn't be able to get into because of their appearance. But Paul, 
doesn't want us to infiltrate anything, but commands us to be putting on things, not clothes, but more of uh, characteristics, more of attitudes of things that are appropriate for our new position in Christ. Um, but before we dive in, um, I just want to recap this list of things that we should put off. Colossians 3, verse, we'll do verse 8. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with, with its practices and have put on the new self. Let me back up there. I missed that verse. Um, verse 5, therefore put to death what belongs to to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Um, you know, when we read that list, there are some words in there that stand out. We're like, oh, that's disgusting. I'm glad I'm never like that. And then there are other words that you're like, ooh, kind of guilty of that. I think in our culture, we've assigned... Um, worse value to some of those than to others. But in God's eyes, in the life of a Christian, sin is sin. And if you are wearing any of these things, if these things can be associated with you, you are not representing the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of the world. And so Paul says, put those off. And he says, you need to be putting on these other things because you are a new creation uh, he writes in his second letter to the Corinthians um, that, whoa, um, that, you know, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And it's this idea of transformation. Um, if you guys have ever seen like what a caterpillar looks like and then what a butterfly looks like, and it's like seemingly two different animals. Do we know what that is? Is that me? Maybe. Um, two different animals, but it's still the same DNA, the same creature, but with us, you know, being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, this new creation, it's a greater transformation than any earthly thing that we can point to. We are to look and act and be noticeably different, not just in our apparel, but our attitude, not in our clothing, but in our character. I was going to make a joke about Christian clothing, but then I saw Brian was wearing a Christian shirt, and so I will not because he can beat me up. Um, you know, I think when, you know, as the Christian desires to be like Jesus, to look like Jesus. We, you know, what would Jesus do? We have this idea in our mind of what Jesus is. And so, yeah, we say, oh, yeah, I want, I want to look like Jesus. But then if I were to ask one of you, when's the last time you saw somebody that looked like Jesus? It's not, you don't immediately think, I don't at least, of the characteristics of Jesus. Oh, yeah, I saw this person the other day, and he was just super compassionate. I thought, that guy looks like Jesus. Uh, Wimbledon is happening right now, so we see a lot of Jesus impersonators. Um, 
just the long hair, the goatee, or the beard, tan, fit. Um, I don't think any of them wear a red sash, but we do have this idea of what Jesus looked like because we are a culture of that's based, puts heavy value on appearances. And Paul says, you know, the Christian life, the kingdom of God is not about appearances, but it's about character. And so putting these things on our everyday church clothes, what, when people look at us, what should they see? So verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Uh, I'm going to take a quick second. Uh, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Um, This idea, you know, Calvinism, Arminianism, predestination, big conversation, we're not going to tackle that today, but I just want to start this off by pointing out the phrase, God's chosen ones, and just for us to rest in the fact that our salvation is not random, our salvation is not arbitrary, Uh, we are loved more than we will ever know and that each one of us is destined for and set aside uh, for amazing things. Because we are Christians. We are in the kingdom of Jesus. Paul says, because you are in this kingdom, because you are God's chosen ones, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So this first list, um, I don't sound like this list. My life, most of the time, you know, maybe some of these words like, oh, I think I'm, I'm kind of compassionate, I'm kind of kind, um, don't really rock uh, at being humble. Um, sometimes I'm a bit harsh. And patience, I don't know if I've ever been truly patient. But as we read this list and we say, okay, these things don't apply directly to me, Paul's writing this to the church at Colossae, not to the Christian at Colossae. This is what the church should look like. This is what the body of Christ should be. Uh, These are characteristics of what the body of Christ should be. And so when we read this, it's not about describing you, are you patient, are you merciful, are you compassionate, but is the body of Christ compassionate? Is the body of Christ kind? Is the body of Christ humble? Is the body of Christ gentle? And is the body of Christ patient? Um, We mentioned the verse in 2 Corinthians Um, about being a new creation. But the verses leading up to that, the verse leading up to that, verse 16 of chapter 5, says, from now on, then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. 
we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. And Paul goes on to talk about dropping this idea of having a worldly perspective. And I think that's something that we will continue to battle until Jesus comes back because uh, we are constantly reminded, constantly given lenses to see this world through a worldly perspective. And one of those, one aspect of that worldly perspective is the idea of being an independent person. You know, my Christianity is between me and Jesus. My personal relationship with Christ is what is uh, at the apex of my Christianity. And our personal salvation, obviously, is what enters us into that kingdom. But God has not called us to be an independent individual in his kingdom. Um, he has called us to be interdependent. And so as he works through his body, in his body, he doesn't just do that, you know, God to man. He doesn't do that God to believers. He does that God through believers. And so each one of us has the spirit of God, and that is how God works through. You know, God can do whatever he wants, but the major way God works through and to his church is through his body. And so when we read this, you know, being an interdependent people, our compassion, our kindness, our humility, our gentleness, gentleness, our patience should be expressed to each other first. When people look into the church, they should see a people that are um, peculiar, a people that are different, because their attributes are not necessarily that of the world's. And so as we're displaying this for the world on the inside of the body, what that looks like to be compassionate to one another, kind, humble, gentle, and patient, that's also how we express ourselves to the world. So Paul says in verse 13, talking about treating one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another. Whoops. Just as my pages are stuck together. Do you guys have kids? And you guys have kids that drink things? And you guys have kids that spill drinks? You guys have Bibles next to those drinks? Um, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So this is, you know, how Christians should be with one another, bearing with one another, enduring one another, um, that we should be forgiving one another, and that the love, which is most important, should be bonding us together in unity. And I think one of the things the church is worst at is being united. How many different denominations do we have? How many different churches? You know, even on this street, we have one, two, three, four, five churches within three blocks. And the reason why we have five churches is because we disagree on things. I'm not saying those disagreement, disagreements shouldn't be there, but should we be known for our divisions and our denominations, or should we be known for our unity? When we communicate with 
other believers, even if we strongly disagree on some theological issues, swift are we to try to mend those relationships? How swift are we to try to work with each other? How swift are we to compromise? How swift are we to be a friend instead of an enemy? I think that, you know, as we're called to forgive, I don't know about you guys, but there's always like one or two things in my mind that when someone offends me or um, sins against me, I have this idea of what forgiveness is for me. You know, like, yeah, I totally forgive you, but I will never forget what you did. And that's not what we're called to do. Jesus forgave us, and Paul says that we are to forgive others as Jesus forgives us, and that's incredible. I don't think most of us understand the level of forgiveness. You know, we know our sin runs deep, but just how deep, I don't think we can get to the bottom of that. And Jesus knows how deep that goes, still forgives us, And so as we look to forgive people, we're supposed to follow his model. And so as believers, we need to be enduring with one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, being united by our love. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts. This idea of peace, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, In Romans, Paul says, in chapter 12, uh, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with others. And I think we have this idea that Christians uh, are uh, to be peacekeepers not peacemakers, and that's wrong. You know, we should be seeking out to mend relationships, to mend bridges. You know, I know Christian families that are uh, broken, that are hurting because there is a um, fragmented relationship, and peace isn't being sought out. Peace isn't being worked for, worked towards, and if that's how we deal with our relationships under our own roof, do you think that we're going to deal with those relationships in the same way at the church? You know, are we supposed to be um, representing Christ and simultaneously uh, living in the sin of avoiding one another, not having this idea of peace? Paul says, let that peace rule your hearts. Um, I think this has been a struggle for me, this idea of letting that peace of Jesus rule my heart. Uh, Because as you walk through this life, as you walk through this world, people are going to wrong you. 
Um, and you can forgive them, you know, you can distance yourself from them if they're a toxic person. But this idea that um, you are to live in peace, not just with yourself, you know, having that um, peace that goes beyond understanding in your own heart, but how about a peace that goes beyond understanding with other people? Um, you know, I've had spiritual influences in my life, spiritual leaders in my life, um, just straight up wrong me. And that really does a number on my heart. And there's not, I can't describe the time after that as peaceful, my spiritual life after that as peaceful. And so for me, when I read this, you know, we are to be united, we are to be forgiving one another, we are to be bearing and enduring with one another, but also through that whole time of trying to do that, live in peace with one another. For me, that's something that I have to give over to the Lord continually, that my heart would be ruled by that, and that I wouldn't, I'm not doing that, I promise, guys, it's not me. Um, that, you know, I would not be um, tempted or hung up on the things that have happened to me in the past, but I'd be looking forward and working to mend those relationships. And then Paul says something after that. He says, let that peace rule your hearts and be thankful. I think we're really good at saying thank you. Um, I think we're really good at thanking God for what we have. But this lifestyle of thankfulness, um, this week at our community group, we talked about uh, materialism and how it plays such a big role in our lives as Americans. Um, you know, we're very uh, stuff-oriented people. And so even if that, those material items that you're striving after, whether that's, you know, I, I want to pay off my house or I want to have a reliable car, or I want to, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, that, those things within themselves aren't bad, but, you know, that's, in one breath, I feel like I'm saying thank you for these things, but I'm not happy with them. Thank you for these things, but I need something more. Thank you for these things, God, that you've given to me, but I can't wait to have the next thing. And this idea of thankfulness, Paul is going to mention a few more times before we finish out. But I think when the world looks into the church, you know, what are the things that we should be known for? This idea of uh, contentment, this idea of thankfulness, that, oh man, those guys are just so, um, they have this attitude of just being blessed by everything God has given them. And that's something that as Americans, I think we're going to have to be combating continually. You know, are we content with driving a car that is 10, 20 years old and not a classic, you know? Like, oh yeah, there's corks in the oil pan. There's things happening um, to this vehicle that only the Lord knows. Um, are we happy with 
living a lifestyle that does not meet the standards or the preferences of the world around us? And are we thankful for the life that we have been called to? You know, for some of us, it's not uh, material items. Some of us, it's spiritual, uh, our spiritual relationship with the Lord. I think that this idea of being thankful um, for our salvation, um, but then we transfer that over to sanctification. And how many of us are happy with where we stand with the Lord right now? You know, like none of us. Like we all know that we have so much more work to do so much more of that journey to go, and we want to speed it up. We want to have control over the acceleration of our sanctification and being thankful for what God is doing in your life. Like God is sovereign over your life. God knows where you're at, what you're struggling with, you know, the attitudes that you have towards your job or your spouse or your kids or your neighbors. And I think being thankful for the work that he has done and is continuing to do will keep us in check, will allow us to trust that he is working in his time and his place in our hearts to keep this idea of thankfulness as we pursue the Lord. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Now, when it says the word of Christ, um, I was taught growing up that that is the Bible. Um, that is not specifically what Paul's talking about. Uh, when he says the word of Christ, he's talking about the teachings of Jesus, kingdom teaching. Um, and so it is not wrong to look at the whole Bible as the word of God, absolutely, we should be reading it as that. Every word is God-breathed. But when Paul is talking about the word of Christ, he is specifically referencing, referencing the teaching that we see from Jesus. Um, and I would even say, as the apostles teach that through the New Testament. Um, so let that word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, Christian music has this reputation for being terrible. Um, you know, musically, uh, it is very easy. I've heard, I'm not a musician, um, but Paul points out that these songs, the songs that we sing on Sunday, the songs that we listen to on our radio, what is it now, Shine 1049 or whatever, um, these Christian radio stations, that those songs that we listen to, Spotify, they should be teaching and admonishing and encouraging us, that they should be rich in theology. And some of them are great. Some of them are um, chock full of theology, chock full of things that we should be reminding ourselves of on a daily basis, and some of them are not. And so as we listen to these things, as you know, we choose the songs that our churches sing, as we uh, choose the songs that we listen to, think about the words, think about the ideas, the truths that they teach you. And it says that we should be doing this to one another. And so as we sing here collectively, as we worship, not only is that benefiting um, us individually, worshiping God, but it's benefiting the whole congregation because we're singing as one 
to each other about the truths of God. And at the end of that verse, he says, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, this idea of thankfulness. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This idea of thankfulness again. And so listening to John's teaching last week about these things that we should be putting off um, and that I fail to do a lot of the time, and then this week diving into what we should be putting on, and some of these ideas are um, not, they're not difficult ideas. You know, should a Christian be compassionate? Yes. Should a Christian be kind? Yes. Should a Christian be gentle, be patient? Yes, absolutely. But what does that look like for us individually? What does that look like for us collectively as the church? Uh, If we zoom out, the American church, is it known for being compassionate? Sometimes. Is it known for being merciful? Um, I, I can't say the church in America as a whole doesn't have a reputation, reputation for being merciful. Is it gentle? A few months ago, we had another pastor that was fired from his church for being too harsh. And like, he was one of the good guys, like one of the ones where like, yeah, this guy's solid. Is the church kind? Um, you know, I could ask a few non-Christians if the church is kind to their communities, and they would say no. Is the church humble? Maybe we're more self-righteous. Is the church patient? Do we listen? Maybe. I think that as we step out and, you know, if we want to represent the kingdom of God, if we want to put on the characteristics of Jesus, I think we have to think bigger than ourselves. Obviously, it starts with ourselves, but as a church, Revelation Church in Coeur d'Alene, how are we doing in representing the body of Jesus? Um, I think that it's, you know, if we looked at what John pointed out last week of the things that we're supposed to put off, sexual sin, materialism, greed, anger, slander, uh, deceitfulness, racism, religious prejudice, and social status as he gets into there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no barbarian, there's no Scythian uh, in the kingdom of God. All these things, um, and then you look at what we're supposed to put on, what we put on isn't the opposites of what we put off. And so for sin, we need to put that off. The way of the world, the world worldly perspective, we need to put that off. But then what do we put on? We put on compassion. We put on mercy. We put on, you know, it's not, these aren't straight morals. We don't put on chastity. We don't put on truthfulness. We don't put on these things because those things, as we put sin off, those things will naturally flow into our life. But we put on these other things and they're relational. We put on these other things that are still opposite of the world, but they are not strict moral actions. And so as we develop a reputation in this city, are we as a body, you know, the choices we make socially, politically, 
ethically are we thinking what is the most compassionate thing we can do in this situation? What is the kindest thing we can do in the situation? What is, you know, how can we show the most mercy in the situation? How can we lift others above ourselves, whether that be them personally or their interests, showing humility in this situation? How can we be gentle in this situation? How can we be as patient as possible in this situation? I don't think those are the things that come to our mind when we're presented with these situations because we have this worldly perspective that's so ingrained to us. When we're given a situation, we say, well, how much is it going to cost? Well, what do we have to figure out before we can do that? Well, you know, we don't want to compromise our values. Um, I think we're swift to decide the hills that we're going to die on. And I think if you read the New Testament, the only hill that we're called to die on is the one that Jesus died on. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are no longer to feed our natural desires, but as we walk in this world collectively as a group, you know, when we think of the... um, life of Jesus. We talked about this a little bit on our community group. Um, So Jesus simultaneously was the most moral and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He was absolutely moral, did not sin, yet he hung out with the sinners. He was friends with prostitutes. He was friends with the quote-unquote enemies of Israel the Samaritans, the Roman government, he treated them with kindness and mercy. And if you look at the quote-unquote enemies of America, the enemies of maybe American Christianity, our Judeo-Christian values, how do we treat the enemies of those things? We don't have a huge exposure to a lot of those people groups, a lot of those communities here in North Idaho. But when we do have that exposure, um, I went to a church uh, in the past and uh, we were talking about a man who came to uh, repair our refrigerator. And you know, this man shared a little bit of his life with us and he you know, saved Uh, some trees in a forest that were going to be cut down by sleeping in those trees. You know, he was out on a kayak saving some whales from, I don't know who you save whales from. Um, But he was, you know, very much cared about the environment, um, very much did not like organized religion, um, but he was very kind and gracious with his words. He fixed our fridge and he left. And as he was leaving, gave him a cup of coffee and said, hey, uh, you know, you're, you're welcome back at this church. We'd love to have you. And one of the pastors on staff uh, heard about that situation and said, no, we don't want him here. And you're like, but that, that's who we're supposed to desire to see come to Jesus. And that's one little experience I have with that sort of attitude towards outsiders Um, I'd prefer to call them uh, the not yet saved. But when we think of, 
You know, if we are at the airport and engage with a Muslim or a Buddhist, if we're at a coffee shop and our barista is part of the LGBTQ community, you know, what, as we disagree with these people, are we known for being friendly to them? Are we known for being kind to them? And I think that, as Paul tells us to, as a community, be about these things, put on these things, that we should be a community that baffles the world, um, that we should be uh, seeking justice for the marginalized, that we should be seeking justice for the unborn, that we should be seeking justice for the oppressed, but not seeking justice for ourselves. You know, Jesus fought for the oppressed, told us to take care of the poor, the widows, the fatherless. And when he was being sinned against, when he uh, was experiencing injustice, his response was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I think that should be our heart. And I think it's going to take a lot of putting off of the old ways and putting on of the new ways. And I mentioned that it should baffle people. Um, It should baffle us. Why should we be so conflicted, you know, walking through this world? We should be for these things, for life, for just social justice and the aspect of seeing oppressed people um, taken care of, defended, but also as moral and as, um, you know, what does Jesus say? Be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves, that we should be gentle. And I think that um, it's going to be challenging. But as we walk through this life, wearing certain characteristics, putting on our church clothes, so to say, that um, we should be open to the Spirit showing us what those clothes look like. And that through all of that, we should have this attitude of gratitude, this heart of thankfulness, realizing that you know, we are not um, in charge of this kingdom. We are not here to enforce the rules of the kingdom of God, but we are here to represent our king who is kind, who is merciful, who is gentle, who is compassionate, who is humble, and who is patient with us. God, thanks for today. Um, Lord, we do just pray. God, I ask for forgiveness for myself as I am not uh, the things that you have called me to be. God, I ask forgiveness for um, us as a church, as the church in this city, uh, Lord, that we fail to be your representative. God, I pray that that would change. I pray that our hearts would be soft. I pray that um, we would be seeking um, ways to be peacemakers, that would be seeking forgiveness, that would be seeking unity, and that we would be um, representing you in a way that is biblical, in a way that is not influenced by a worldly perspective. God, I pray that um, we would not lump ourselves into categories, but that we'd constantly have our eyes fixed on you,
um, that we would not place ourselves um, in the shoes that we want to be in, in the places we want to be, but that your spirit would be conforming us, changing us, molding us into people, into servants of your kingdom, subjects of your kingdom that would be, um, as Paul pointed out in this letter to the Colossians, that in everything that we do, we'd be carrying your name. God, we thank you and just pray that you would receive our worship this morning and as we take communion, that uh, that time would be uh, sweet for each one of us in your name. Amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.